You know, um, we, 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 uh, we may be going to do a first here. I'm going to make a change. Go to Romans chapter 9. I struggled uh, this week to, to make a decision. That decision is what's best. I even struggled this morning um, with uh, study, uh, personal time study. Talked to Heath a little about it uh, when he got here this morning. I'm going to make a change. I feel that uh, be kind of wooden to jump into Second Corinthians chapter nine. We're going to go to Romans chapter nine. We're going to talk a little about this great salvation. Um, this week, as I'm reading through the Bible, I, I, I'm in Romans fourteen and uh, read Romans eight through fourteen actually um, this week, and nine became an emphasis for me. Look in, look in uh, verse, start in verse 1. I am, Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Anytime the apostle of the Lord makes that many clarifications about what he's about to say, our ears perk up. You know, it's interesting to me that Paul would reiterate himself here. He does that in some places when he's really passionate about a subject. But he says... In case you don't understand, what I'm about to say, though it is controversial and may sound out of place, actually is what God has put into my heart. He says, by the Spirit I say these things, basically. That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Passion. Passion that was unmatched by anything else in his life. Uh, When it came to his ministry. He had been plucked out of the path that God had put him on sovereignly to study and know the law. He was a great, he says, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was probably the most doctrinally pure Jew in his day, maybe. One of the most scholarly men in his day. Maybe outside of uh, Adam and Jesus Christ, maybe the most intelligent man to ever walk the face of the earth. And he says, I have this great sorrow and this anguish in my heart, this pleading, this burning, this zeal in my heart. Now, when God plucked him out of the nation of Israel, He set him aside for a specific task, and that specific task was the Gentiles. We know He's the apostle to the Gentiles. And so, He never though, if you read through the book of Acts, that's an interesting read, because He never goes to a city without addressing the Jews. He goes there first. He goes to the synagogue and He teaches. When they kick Him out, beat him, stone him, refuse to hear him, he goes to the Gentiles. I would say this is his heart. This is his passion. I have this, he's saying it in in Romans chapter 9, there in verse 1, I have this burning and the Holy Spirit is my witness, it is my burning. I have this great sorrow in verse 2 and this unceasing anguish, this great passion in my heart. And what is it? For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. Let those words sink into your mind. He's saying, I am so broken. I am so burdened for the lost sheep of Israel. 
that what I'd like to do is I'd like to go to hell. I'd like to die for eternity so that my nation might be saved. And this week, in my time, my confession was, Lord, I'm not that broken. I don't mean this the wrong way, but it shows that I'm a man that is self-consumed, and that is, when I pray for you, and when I pray for your family, I never approach this. I never say, God, that every soul in Grace Fellowship might know you. Let me be accursed. And so it's left me to think, why is our church not more burdened for the lost? I actually wrote that down this week. On Tuesday, I wrote that, and I looked at it, and I thought about it, I prayed about it. And the reality is you're not that broken because I'm not that broken. And so I say to you as a a people, we need to be broken for the lost. I told Seth on Friday, when I drive through my neighborhood, I thought of this this week, when I drive through my neighborhood, people are watering their lawns, people are gardening, people are playing with their children. When I ride past them with no thought of their eternal state, What I'm actually saying is I'm not worried about your soul. I would rather you go to hell. That's what I'm saying. When I exalt my own comfort and my own time with my own family and even the ministry of this church and the prayer for your souls, When I put that above my burning and my heart for my neighborhood, what I'm actually saying is it does not bother me that you're facing eternity in hell. And that's not Paul. Romans 1 through 8 is the greatest treatise, the greatest doctrinal dissertation ever. On salvation. This is how it happened, Paul said. He says in Romans 1, the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1 16, the power of God unto salvation is the gospel. And what is the gospel? The just live by faith. The gospel is, he goes on to say in later part of Romans 1, all the pagan world and all their sin. They're lost, completely, utterly lost. And that is, goes beyond question. Everybody would look at the pagan world and say they've traded in, they're involved in homosexuality, all manner of sexual sin. It's not easy to see that these pagans are lost. But then he moves to Romans 2 and he says, you moral men who have the law and you have it written on your hearts, you've denied the law. And you don't live by the law. And so you are guilty, as guilty as the homosexuals in Romans 1. 
You're just as guilty. And then the first part of chapter 3 says, you Jewish men, you people who has been committed the oracles of God and the prophecy of old, the promise of a Messiah, you Jews, you're lost. You can't save yourself. And your physical, you need to understand this because it's going to be key to what I'm about to say. Your physical birthright gains you nothing in terms of eternity. It gives you no privilege. And then he launches into a recitation of Old Testament Scriptures where, you know, that famous passage where it says, there are none that are righteous. No, not one. And he goes through condemning the whole world under the weight of sin. And then the Romans 3.23 passage that we all know so well. Right? All have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Brought right in in verse 24 and following. So what's the solution? Christ. Christ came so that God might be the just, the one who's never sinned, and the justifier of all who believe in Him. In layman terms, in common terms, in English vernacular, God is perfect. He came in the flesh so He might identify with us completely and humble Himself to be like us in every way except without sin. So He might be not only just, but the justifier. God's behind the bench, robed in glory, saying, You are a sinner worthy of death. And at the same time, in Christ, He is our advocate saying, Yes, but I paid the price. They are now free. That's the gospel. That's Romans 1.17. In a fuller context, God is just and justifier. And those who have faith in Him live by that faith. You live by that faith. And then he goes into Romans 4, and we won't go through the whole thing. He comes to Romans 8, and he makes this great statement about you cannot be separated from the love of Christ. Everyone who's in, love, in, 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 in Christ cannot be separated from the love of God. You cannot be lost again. Right? And that's a powerful ending in Romans 8 in transition. He says... We have tasted, we have been set apart and therefore we cannot be separated from God because of the love of Jesus Christ. And then he says, I am not lying. You see the transition? The Holy Spirit is my witness. I have great compassion and anguish in my heart. What? For my kinsmen according to the flesh. Why? Because they had rejected Jesus. And I want to say to you, I don't care what you've done in your life, the good things you've done, the obedience you think you've displayed. It doesn't matter to me that you are a moral or immoral man or woman. It does not matter. All that matters is that you love and know Jesus Christ. Because I want to say, myself included, we are not 
We are not even close to the righteousness according to the flesh of the Jews. We're not even close. Outwardly, we're not even close to what they went through on a daily basis to remain pure, they thought, in their own eyes. But their downfall was the same as ours. They rejected Christ. He says, My kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, the forefathers. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So according to the flesh, they have great privilege. They got the law, they got the covenant, they got the promise. And through their physical lineage, the Christ came into the world. But were they saved? And the answer is no. No. They were lost. So we see Paul's brokenness. And what is it over? His own people who are lost. Though they've had great privilege, they have no salvation. Maybe you were born into a Christian family. A a godly father who prayed for you and taught you the Scripture and raised you in church faithfully. And since that time, you've done a pattern of righteousness that He showed to you, but no identification with Christ. I'm convinced the American church is filled with these people. Filled. Without batting an eye, I believe it's 80%, maybe higher, of the normal church attenders. This is their testimony. If you want to know, this week, run a little straw poll, ask 10 people, how do you know you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And listen to their answer. And it'll be filled with, I was born into a Christian home, went to church, Sunday school, learned the truth, baptized, And I've tried to do good. And that's why Christian that is here, your heart and my heart should be broken because it's really a pitiful state they live in. It's pitiful. And there comes a day, if we believe the Word of God, where they will give account and they will stand and face that holy God that they knew all about and they'll be rejected based on no relationship with Christ so when we take the Lord's Supper your thought my thought should be without his body without his blood I'm lost and if they don't have him they're lost whether they're homosexuals, whether they're moral, or whether they're Jews, without Him, they're lost. They're lost. I want to close with this, though. 
because it makes it so clear. This next paragraph makes what I've just said about the birthright so clear. But it is not, verse 6, as though the Word of God has failed. All those Old Testament promises about Israel, Paul says none of them have failed. They've all come to pass. They've all been kept. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac, your offspring will be named. That's an interesting quote by the Apostle. And it is drawn from Genesis chapter 21 verse 12. Where, remember in, in 12 God calls Abraham out. Aaron's going through this I think in Sunday school. He calls Abraham from his natural people. And then in 15 he repeats the promise. And he adds to the promise a son. You're going to have a son. And then it doesn't happen. And Sarah is old and barren. And Abraham is a hundred. And there's no son. There's no child. And in rather than having faith in God, that He would do what He promised, they concocted a worldly plan. And what was it? Sarah said, Take my maidservant, Hagar, she will have for you a descendant, a promised child. Right? It was their plan. And he had the son. And God comes to him in Genesis 21 and says, Okay, Abraham, next year at this time, you'll have a child by Sarah. And what does Abraham say? Oh, But that Ishmael might be that child. What is he saying? Oh God, you were in a tight. I needed to help you out. Sarah was barren and I was old. And it was beyond our earthly wisdom that you could bring about a son and so we came up with our own way. Isn't it acceptable? In my method, just as good, don't we end up in the same place? Aren't we, weren't we sincere in our belief that this was the best plan? That's what he's saying. Oh, that Ishmael might be that promised seed. And what did God say? No. By Sarah, you will have a son. God keeps his word, God has the plan. It's not our responsibility to save ourselves is the point. It's not our job as leaders or as people, sheep, to decide how we come to God. He has made the plan and He has made it sure. And in a year's time, Isaac was born. And so, listen to this. He says, not all of the fleshly descendants of Abraham are of Israel. Is that not true? It's true. Over half his descendants were of Ishmael and they were lost. All of them. Lost. Israel is my chosen one. 
It's my plan. It's my way. He goes farther here. He continues. Verse 8, This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. God said, children of the flesh are lost. Children of the promise are saved. Children of the promise. What was the promise? That God would give him a son that would be a blessing to all the nations. Why was it a blessing to all the nations? It was not nationality. It was because through that line, through that heritage, Jesus Christ would be born. So what have we seen in Paul's writing here? Not all of Israel, not all of fleshly Israel is Israel. But the children of the promise. And so Paul says, there is a physical Israel and there's a spiritual Israel. In Galatians 6, he says, it is the Israel of God. And who is Israel of God? Everyone who believes the promise. If you're here and you believe in Christ, the promise, that's the promise. If you believe in the promise, you are Israel. It's clear when you read nine continuously through 9, 10, 11, and on into the practical verses, that this is what his thought is. It's not about who you are in your flesh. It's about who you are in the Spirit of God. And so Jesus would say it like this in closing. Jesus would say it like this in John chapter 10. I have sheep that are not of this fold. And they must come also so that there might be one flock and one shepherd of that flock. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are in your flesh, whether you're from this nation or that nation or another, it matters who you are in the Spirit. Are you a child of the promise? And if you are, you're a member of the flock, which is shepherded by the shepherd, Jesus Christ. And in great picture and detail of what he had just said, God allows this to happen. The Pharisees at the end of that teaching in John 10 say, so tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? And he says, I have told you plainly. And you have not heard because... You are not my sheep. You're not my sheep. Therefore, you cannot understand the promise, even if you're an Israelite. So what we've just done here is a pictorial example, an image that should preach the gospel by itself. And it does. It proclaims it. 
that at the foot of the cross there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, rich or slave. There's none of that. There is a flock. And that flock is drawn from all over the world so that all of the nations might say, there's one shepherd, Jesus Christ. How will they come? That's the question that this morning I arrived at. Heath and I were talking about. How will they come? They will come because God has sovereignly set the system that the sheep lead sheep. They'll come if you example and you show them and you teach them. And you'll do that when your heart is broken like Paul's. I'll do that when I'm broken like Paul over lost men. John Piper used this example. He said, people ask me, if you believe the way you do about salvation, why share the gospel at all? Why pray at all? If God's going to do what God's going to do, then why do what you do? Very simple answer. Because God not only ordains the end, He ordains the means to the end. And the mean to the end is our prayer and our sharing the faith. That's what He has ordained to bring men to Himself. That's the net He has built to cast and bring in fish. Worldly example. Troy will get this one. There's a two by four. And there's a nail. And there's a hammer. And there's a carpenter. God could say to that nail, nail, rise and sink into that two by four. And if he said that, the nail would rise and go into two by four. But in evangelism, that's not what he does. See, rising and nailing, that's salvation. He doesn't do that. What he does is, he says, carpenter, pick up the hammer. Strike the nail so that it goes into the two by four. Do you see it? We are all carpenters of the master builder who's drawn the plan, laid the foundation, done the work. And now He is sovereignly saying in us and tugging at our heart, drive the nail. Drive the nail. You say, that sounds like I'm working. You are. You're doing the work of God. Ephesians 2.10 says that we have been saved to walk in His good works which He has planned beforehand that we should walk in them. So what is my challenge to you? My challenge in grace is this. This week, stop looking at your neighborhood and saying, God, one day, command that nail to drive itself home. And start saying, God, let me drive the nail. God, let me be the hammer in your hand. Be the carpenter under your charge to drive the nail. Break my heart for my neighborhood 
for my workplace, for my school, so I might drive nails for, a king, for the kingdom. That should be our heart. That should be our call. We serve a great God who is great in grace. And His grace has called us into His service. So we go forward to serve Him. Let's go in His grace to serve the lost world and by serving them Christ that He might be glorified. Let's pray. Father, this detour of my plan, I feel like, Lord, was an encouragement from You and maybe I missed it. But I know that the word of Romans 9 is true and I confess that our hearts are not broken. If they were, we would not simply stand by waiting for magical conversions. But we would literally run to the lost and say, I don't know what you suffer and I don't know who you are Really, but I know this. Jesus Christ is salvation. Believe in Him and be saved. We would wake every morning with a fresh sense of how blessed we are to be saved. Children of the promise called the Israel of God and we would then run to the harvest field to join you in your work. Lord, break our hearts that we would do this. Order our lives. Help us to know to order our lives so that we might accomplish the mission of spreading Your great name throughout the earth. We thank You for the words of the Apostle which are an encouragement to us and are a confirmation of the call in our lives. We love You and it is in Your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.